Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Momony Podcast. This is episode 251, and I am your host, Jessica Morehouse. Welcome back to the show, guys. We're talking investing for this episode, so I hope, and this is a longer episode because I have a guest who's been on the show before, and he hasn't been on the show for three years, and we had a lot to talk about. A lot of things have been happening in the world of investing, but specifically, we talk about uh, responsible investing, green investing, sustainable investing, whatever you want to call it. That's what we're talking about. Uh, so I have got Tim Nash back on the show. You may remember him from episode 129 that aired November 15th, 2017. Oh my gosh, almost like three years to the day. That's kind of crazy. And he was on the show to talk about sustainable investing because I'd never had a guest on the show at, at that point on to talk about it. And honestly, it was very, very new. I, I had recently, I think at that point, gotten to know Tim because he invited me to uh, the sustainable investing uh, kind of fair. It was, it was you know, a, a little event where there's a bunch of booths, different um, companies that offered uh, sustainable investing. It was honestly the first kind of, I think, introduction to uh, this type of investing I had before. And that was three years ago. And so much has changed. As you know, there's so many more, um, you know, sustainable products out there. Uh, ETFs, robo-advisors are now offering portfolios specifically tailored to responsible investing. A lot of good changes uh, have been happening in the past three years. Um, and so we get to talk about all of it. So I'm so excited for this episode. In case you did not listen to that episode 129, if you want to go back and listen to it, Tim Nash is the founder of Good Investing, an investment planning firm with a focus on sustainable investing, obviously. Uh, so And Tim's blog, The Sustainable Economist, which I kind of mentioned in the show that was trying to move everything to good investing. But anyways, it still exists. So check it out. The Sustainable Economist is what it's called. Uh, it has inspired thousands of Canadians to invest according to their values with model portfolios to reflect different definitions of sustainable investing. And Tim also writes a bi-weekly column for the Toronto Star and is regularly featured in publications such as CBC's The National, BNN Bloomberg's Market Call, and The Globe and Mail. And you can find him at goodinvesting.com. But yeah, we're going to talk about investing sustainably. You're going to love it. So just before I get to that interview with Tim, here's just a few words about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is supported by TD Direct Investing. Investing just got a whole lot easier. Remember about a year ago, I did a blog post and made a video about TD Direct Investing's new feature in a web broker called Goal Assist? Well, that same feature is now called Goals, and they've reimagined Goal Assist to become a standalone investing app that is now available to download on iOS and Android. If you're looking for a new, simplified way to invest and want to save on fees, you'll want to check out TD Goal Assist. It not only guides you through building a goals-based investment plan, it allows you to build a diversified investment portfolio aligned with your goals using TD ETFs, stocks, or TD one-click ETF portfolios. The best part? There are no balance minimums, monthly fees, or inactivity fees, and you know what that means more money in your pocket. And when you trade TD ETFs, there are zero commissions on trades. That means the only fees you'll be paying are the MERs embedded in the ETFs themselves. Want to learn more? Visit the show notes for this episode or go to jessicamorehouse.com slash goal assist or try it out yourself by downloading the TD Goal Assist app by the App Store or Google Play. TD Goal Assist is a service of TD Direct Investing, a division of TD Waterhouse Canada Inc., a subsidiary of the Toronto Dominion Bank. 
Welcome to the Mo Money Podcast, Tim. I'm so excited to have you back because you were on the show, which is insane, almost three years ago, November 2017, episode 129. Wow. I've had like another 100 episodes since then. <laughs> well, I feel like I've aged, I won't say 100 Same. years, but certainly <laughs> over 100 months since 2017. Oh, I feel like I was, it's so funny. And this is why I love the podcast, um, because I feel like I also grow up with it. And so when I think back, my gosh, I really was a newbie when it came to learning about sustainable investing um, back when I started talking to you. And I feel like I know so much more. I've done so much more research and just so much has evolved in the space, which we're going to get to in this episode. So I'm so excited. But I know one of the things we we chatted about in that episode three years ago was you, of course, have your blog, The Sustainable Economist, but you're shifting, creating this new business brand under uh, Good Investing. And you were just starting that, I think, when we were chatting. And that was three years ago. So t- give me an update. How are things? Yeah. It's working. It's working. Oh, good. Brands, brand, branding and good branding is actually really valuable. Uh, you know, I created my Sustainable Economist blog. I'm going to say it was like 2012 when I was still very much searching. I didn't fully know, you know, what I was going to be doing, the exact value that I was offering to people. Uh, at that time, I was more interested on the bigger picture side of things. So more like macroeconomics and the green economy and stuff like that. I was teaching economics at uh, Sheridan College at that time. So kind of calling myself the sustainable economist was sort of a nice fit for the blog. And and since then, you know, it's really been this journey of identifying my my specific passion and niche, which is very much on the investment side of the equation, and that realizing all of the blockages that people have when it comes to investing their own money, whether it's psychological blocks and these emotional things, uh, whether it's the knowledge blocks and just the acronyms and the terms and everything is just so opaque and confusing. And then also very much the, the practical side of things in terms of, you know, how much should I put in to stocks versus bonds versus, you know, these other things. So, you know, really uh, uh, what I've learned over that time is that people need help. When it comes to figuring out their own investments, just investments in general, let alone this idea of ethical or sustainable investing, which, you know, does complicate things a little bit further. It muddies it up a little bit. So, you know, good investing is really a, a fee for service financial planning company that that lets me help people with whatever challenges they're facing and takes, you know, I, I like to joke that, that my clients are often hippies and social justice activists that know nothing about finance and, and investing and get them all the way through to the point where they have a portfolio that aligns with their values, that they're actually confident managing that themselves. So I'm actually in the process of, of letting my old blog die. I'm going to be, I went through my old blogs and I was like, okay, which ones deserve to be saved and which ones need a new polish? And I'm going to move everything over to this uh, goodinvesting.com sort of brand and uh, and really looking to, to keep growing that business of, of really helping people. And whether it's one-on-one or I might explore an online course or, you know, something like that in, in the next little bit, but really just helping people figure this stuff out and then hold their hand as they actually make the investments. They actually open the accounts, put money in and make the trades for the first time 
which can be really scary. Um, and that way, hopefully more people will be able to invest according to their values. I want to kind of get into it because you mentioned, so you're an investment coach. There's so many titles out there. And that's one of the things that irritates me because people get confused. They don't know what means what, who does what. Um, and uh, before I hit the record button, you also mentioned you are now a CFP. So that's different since you were on the show previously. That's right. So that's very exciting. Um, do you want to kind of share what does what does an investment coach mean? What do you specifically do? So it kind of sounds like you're not managing someone's portfolio, you're getting them to do that themselves. Absolutely. So, you know, and and I think it's important for people to understand the regulations here in Ontario, and it is Canada-wide, but it's governed by province. So, you know, I'm here in Ontario, so I, uh, um, you know, have to understand the regulations from the Ontario Securities Commission. And so that if someone is listed as an advisor, that means that they are licensed to sell products, And all too often, in my experience, advisors are actually salespeople, that the way they get paid is through commissions, they get a cut of your money, they sell you a fund, and then they take a cut of your money every year, as long as you stay invested there. So, you know, to me, I really didn't like that model. So instead, um, you know, I, I looked for models that were more flexible that were uh, didn't mean that I had to follow sort of all the rules by the Ontario Securities Commission so that I could talk about things like community bonds and impact bonds, which, you know, I, I get really excited about. And so what I landed on is this idea of a fee-for-service financial planner, which means that I get paid by the hour. So I don't take any commissions or, or, or sales charges or, you know, trailing trailer fees, any of that stuff. Instead, I get paid directly by my client. Now, what that means is that legally I'm not allowed to provide specific advice or recommendations. So I'm not allowed to say, Jessica, you should buy this company or ETF. I am allowed to provide general advice. And recommendations. So I can say, you know, come on your podcast and talk about these things, or I can go on BNN, or I can write articles and mention actual products, but I'm not saying you, Jessica, buy this. So what this means is when I'm working with a client one-on-one, it is much more of education and empowerment that I'm not selling you. I'm not telling you what to do. Instead, I'm going to always going to show clients a range of options, help them understand the differences between them, which is really important when it comes to this ethical component, because everyone has a totally different idea of what that means. And then really empower clients to choose the the funds that make the most sense for them, both financially and uh, 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 from uh, an ethical and a financial perspective. From there, you know, as a financial planner, I can provide this guidance around things like asset allocation. So stocks versus bonds or like the different sort of percentages of your pie chart. I can help with things like tax optimization. So RSP and TFSA. I can help people, you know, figure out how much they should have for their emergency fund, you know, and do that math. But I'm never going to do it for them. They're never going to transfer money to me. I'm never going to touch their money at all. Really, it is on them to be able to do it. But what I'm doing, and I do like the term coach because I think that is a more apt description than fee-for-service financial planner, that I'm, I'm helping people understand and figure this out. And you know, when it comes to investing, you could, if you've got hours to spend on Google and Reddit, you know, you can figure this stuff out. It's not that hard. But who has hours to spend? You know, for most people, they just they, they don't want to spend that time. And as great as Reddit is, do you really want to get your advice 
from people on Reddit who you, yeah. they're faceless people you don't know, you know? Right. Oh, <laughs> random like, strangers on the internet. You never right? know, right? So this is it. And so that's why I can just kind of like hit fast forward on all that stuff. And it's just like, okay, you know, basically, you know, really narrow it down, keep it simple. What do you need to know? And it really builds on, I think, my, my expertise. Like my grandma always told me I was a really good teacher. You know, when I started teaching economics, she was like, oh, great, finally, you figured out your vocation. And, you know, and for me, really, I'm just taking that same energy and attitude that I taught teaching economics to first year college students and but doing it on a one on one so that we can really customize it for individuals and, you know, and really let people make the decisions that feel right to them. Do you ever recommend using a robo-advisor that offers a portfolio that is sustainable? Yeah. So when it comes to the robo-advisors, you know, really, it's it's one thing I've had to learn, Jessica, is, is over my years. So wearing my economist hat, I'm all about optimization. And what I've had to realize is that for a lot of people, they're not focused on optimization. Really, simplicity can be like a beautiful thing for a lot of people. So there is kind of this trade-off between optimization versus simplicity. And so robo-advisors for me, they're not optimal. You know, you're paying the robot to do something that you can very easily learn to do yourself. That said, they're very simple. It's really easy. These automatic contributions and the automation, you know, can really be a good option for a lot of people who frankly can't be bothered thinking about this stuff. So most of the, the, the robo-advisor portfolios, there are a number of these socially responsible ones that are out there. Most of them focus on what I call a doing less evil approach, where they're going to avoid certain things. And that, you know, was exciting for me earlier this year, Well, Simple came out with a new sort of new and improved socially responsible portfolio. It was, you know, one of my most popular blogs was the one I wrote in 2006, kind of ripping their old one apart that their old portfolio just wasn't good, frankly. And I think a lot of people found my blog and were like, hey, you know, WTF, why are, you know, gun companies in here? Why are, you know, oil companies in here? And so they were under a lot of pressure to, to improve it. There weren't a lot of new ETFs, you know, that, that allowed them to. So they actually ended up creating their own ETFs, which, you know, power to them. They decided to just build their own. And what they came out with was a really cool option. So, you know, it's going to be really good in terms of getting rid of fossil fuels and getting rid of, you know, a lot of the the, the sort of major controversies or quote unquote sin stocks. Um, but there is, there's no real room in that for the doing more good. That if you want exposure to renewable energy or water infrastructure or things like that, you know, that's just not what they do. So, you know, to me, again, it's it can be a really good option for people who just want to set it and forget it. And especially if you're just starting off, you know, that it can be sort of the, the easiest way to get started. Uh, but certainly a lot of my clients, the reason they're coming to me, certainly they, they do want to avoid a lot of the sort of nastier companies. But part of it is they do want to actually align it and, you know, invest in things that they believe in. You know, and and when you look at a stock like Tesla that has just done incredibly well and don't ask me to justify, you know, the price and where it is right now, because it's, you know, it's done, but it's done so remarkably well that it does really signal a shift that's happening in the broader economy that I think the, the market now realizes that electric cars are the future and are, are, are pricing it accordingly. And so, you know, now if, if there are other trends, other things that you really believe in, that you feel are that sort of future, part of that new economy, then, you know, it might make sense to carve out part of your portfolio. I'm not saying put all your money in Tesla, right? But to be very deliberate and carve out a small little part of your portfolio for these doing more good options, which, you know, the robo-advisors, that's just not what they're designed for. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's 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 there's there's good and bad things about robo advisors. There's less flexibility, and uh, but you know, then the big benefit is you can set it and forget it, kind of thing. That's it. But that's yeah, it. like you have less options. You can't customize it as you could if you're a DIY investor, and that's kind of something to think about. It is a, a bit what I call a cookie cutter portfolio, and when it comes to these, you know, responsible investments, sustainable investments, that you know, it's just, it's so hard to have a one size fits all. Because you come up with approach and, you know, for one person, it's not going to go far enough. And for two other people, they're going to say that goes way too far for me. So, you know, really in this space, I think it is important for people to really understand where they are on that spectrum and to understand uh, what's important to them. And so, you know, it's just to me, it, it does defeat the purpose a little bit. I'm really glad they're there. And I think it's a good option for some people. But I think certainly for most of my clients, uh, you know, they, they would look at it and say, you know, either it doesn't go far enough or it's just not really what I want. Have you seen a big change in terms of product offerings like mutual funds, ETFs? Are there more around now than three years ago? Oh, my goodness. It, it's, it's exploding. Oh, good. Um, so really what we're seeing is uh, uh, mu- more ETFs than mutual funds. There are a few more mutual funds. Uh, Desjardins has done a really good job. It's, I think it's branded their Societaire, sort of brand of mutual funds. And so they, they've now got clean tech and global environment. And I think they've got a positive impact one aligned to the sustainable development goals, which is super cool. Um, but really, it is in the ETF space that, you know, when I started my blog, Sustainable Economist, there were no fossil fuel-free ETFs. I had to, like, craft together my own first po- fossil fuel portfolio using, like, 15 different sector ETFs or whatever. It was definitely a pain. Now, you know, iShares has fossil fuel-free ETFs. BMO came out with a lineup. They're not fossil fuel-free, but they are like ESG leaders, environmental social governance. So companies with sort of the top scores there. Uh, Desjardins has a lineup of responsible investment ETFs. Horizons has a global sustainability leaders that I call the squeaky clean ETF. Um, so there are just so many more options. These are all options that I've listed that are in Canadian dollars, let alone all the ETFs that are in U.S. dollars. That Vanguard has some now, and you know iShares has a bunch in the U.S. State Street, like all the major players. Really, it's getting to the point where if you don't have a socially responsible option, you know you are getting left behind. That said, the demand, you know, in the U.S. is growing. But here in Canada, it's really kind of been disappointing that when I look at the assets under management for a lot of these ETFs, there are the, the supply is there. There are a lot of ETFs. The demand hasn't quite caught up with it yet. That, you know, it's just not they're not as popular. Uh, I'll give you an example that that Horizons uh, Sustainability Leaders ETF you know, here it's got, I think the last time I looked at it, it's about 30 million under management, which is like not bad, but it's not great. ETFs typically break even and become profitable at about 100 million. So it's got a way to go. Uh, I looked at the same ETF is in Australia and it's got over $400 million in it. And it's the same. So I don't know what's going on in Australia, whether, you know, that one has been chosen for whatever reason. But it just tells me that I think Canada is a little bit behind. I think there's a lot of interest here. All the surveys, you know, the Responsible Investment Association, which is sort of the the, the national network here for responsible investors. Uh, they did a survey last year and they said that um, 72 percent of Canadians expressed interest in it. 
Um, but only 26% of people are actually doing it. Why do you think that is? Do you think it's because depending on how people invest, if they're using a robo-advisor, then you're restricted to the portfolios offered by that robo-advisor. And if you're working with a advisor who's managing your portfolio for you, they may not recommend that and you may not think to ask about it. So I think the advisor channel here in Canada is a huge barrier that I think of a, a lot of advisors. They just, they're not informed. And as a result, they don't want to talk about it, that it's almost like it scares them. And they think if they open up a can, you know, can of worms here, well, if, okay, we do this. Well, what about this and that and the other? And honestly, if I'm real with you, that I think there is some political leanings here that, you know, the type of person that wants a socially responsible investment is probably a little more progressive. And think about, I don't know your experience, Jessica, but my experience in with people who self-select to work in the financial industry tend to be a bit more conservative. Minded. Yeah, yeah. So they're a little bit behind on, you know, some of these issues. It hasn't reached that kind of tipping point of just like, oh, yeah. Well, even just like the um, ETFs in general, I feel like five years ago, not many people were talking about it as much as they are now. It was just mutual funds. That's all an advisor would talk about. Now they're actually right. talking about different types of products like index funds and ETFs. And so maybe it's going to take another five to 10 years. It's going to take some time. It takes some time. I think that's it. And, you know, and one thing I've been fighting against my entire career is this, this myth that responsible investments underperform. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that myth is really strong with traditional advisors if they haven't been following it, if they haven't been looking at it, you know, uh, uh, again, most responsible investments have outperformed over the last five years. So and especially like think about how poorly oil stocks have been doing. And now and it could be I don't have the crystal ball. So I don't want to promise that, you know, responsible investment is going to continue to outperform. But, you know, really, it has over the last little bit. And during coronavirus, during 2020, it's actually done quite a bit better um, in this recovery, which, which is interesting because in 2008, 2009, that crash, you know, that happened right as I graduated from my master's program and wanted to work in this field. Nobody cared about sustainability then. Like it really got shoved to the back burner. Nobody cared about it. It's like, no, 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 we need to fix the economy mm-hmm. first. Whereas this time, I'm hearing so many calls to sort of build back better that income inequality and climate change specifically need to be addressed as we recover from this economy. Yeah, we can't improve the economy without those considerations anymore. Like, it just doesn't make sense. They're all in this. And so, you know, so really, if we look at where we are now and the progress over the last five years, and certainly if we look at the direction that we're headed, you know, over the next five, 10, 20 years, you know, I really think that sustainability is going to be a core economic issue. That said, there is still this myth, you know, even though all the data is against it, but so many people still think you need to sacrifice returns. And I think that it really, I've said from the get-go that it's really not a financial barrier to this. It really is a psychological barrier to responsible investments going mainstream. And so what's fun for me is like seeing all these bigger institutions kind of clue in. They're now offering that the supply is there. So the options are there. Uh, my hope is what you said is true, that just like, you know, they're just a little slower, but that, you know, we will start to see more and more advisors recommending these and, you know, at least creating space for these conversations 
to actually, you know, I think if people were asked like, hey, are you interested in responsible investing? And oh, by the way, you actually don't have to sacrifice returns. You know, I think a lot of people would opt for that. Um, I think it's just still this sort of psychological barrier that based on how most Canadians are buying their investments, that those options are usually aren't being put in front of them. And that if they do bring it up, if they do sort of, you know, okay, I'm going to ask my advisor about this, you know, still too often I get these horror stories from advisors that just don't want to go there at all and get defensive and, you know, almost like talk down to you for asking those things. So it's less common. I think the awareness is growing, but I would still say that that's probably one of the biggest reasons why, you know, retail investors haven't fully embraced this movement. Another kind of thing that I've kind of seen is the the misconception that when you're investing in a fund that is um, you know sustainable or green, it's that you are fitting into a weird stereotype of like, oh, so you're just uh, you know investing in like windmills and right. crap like that. Yeah. And it's like, well, from the research I've done, that is not. I mean, you might be, but that's not it. I think a lot of people think it's just like for granola hippies that are just want to you know that are totally against capitalism at all it's like well we all want to make money so no that's not the that's not what's happening and i think that's really important to understand this distinction between you know what i call sort of doing less evil which is you know socially responsible which is esg this environmental social governance you know it's really getting rid of the worst sort of corporate citizens the worst companies uh versus this idea of doing more good or it's often called thematic investing where yeah you know we can invest in in wind turbines vestas has done really well for me you know largest wind wind turbine manufacturer in the world has you know has has made good money over the last little bit and you know i think that it does have bright prospects going forward but again you wouldn't want to put all of your money in those things that you know that i think for a lot of people they're sort of afraid to move in this direction and so no you can absolutely sort of take a small step in the right direction dip your toe in the water that said also part of what i want to caution people is that if you know you are an environmentalist or a social justice activist don't jump in you know head first without knowing how deep the water is right that that really you do want to be very deliberate about these things that you know that that uh, uh, you want to carve out part of your portfolio for those more thematic or doing more good options you know i would never suggest someone go uh, all in on those because they do tend to be riskier. Yeah. And also, and I've had lots of conversations with people in the space too. It's like, uh, just because you want to be, um, you know, a more responsible investor doesn't mean that you're going to throw out the whole, um, idea of diversification, you know, like you still need to be a diversified, uh, investor if you want to be a smart investor. So why would you think that you're only going to be investing in like five different sectors or five different companies or, or whatever the case It's Like you still want to make sure you're, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. Absolutely. And to me, diversification is a core value, for, both from a financial perspective, but also from an ecological, like resilience perspective. You know, that really that that di- biodiversification is a really important thing. So, you know, what we're doing here, I often use the term sort of creativity within constraints. So what we're doing is we're sort of putting some constraints around the portfolio, you know, things that are just hands off, off limits. Okay, you don't want tobacco, you don't want whatever it is, weapons, you know, you don't want guns. Uh, private prisons is a thing that's popping up quite a bit where, you know, just with everything happening in the U.S., people just don't want to own shares in companies that, that own private prisons. That's perfectly understandable. You know, our job is to be get those investors as diversified as possible 
given those constraints that inevitably with responsible investing, you are going to be less diversified. That is kind of the definition here, right? And so the trick is, is, you know, how far down that rabbit hole do you want to go? That the sort of squeakier clean your portfolio becomes, by definition, the less diversified you are. And the more creative I need to be as a financial planner to find solutions (laughs) and to like play with asset allocations to make sure that, you know, you're not all the way invested in a handful of sectors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious, what has your experience been working with clients, building these um, portfolios for them? Have, you know, because you've been doing this for a number of years now, what has their experience been? Has it been positive? Like, and especially comparing it to, you know, previous portfolios they were probably in that weren't responsible. And they're like, oh, this is actually not as bad, you know, lots of those myths are out the window. And I'm, this is this is a great way to invest for me. Absolutely. So, you know, I do have some model portfolios. Uh, Right now, they're up on my blog, sustainableeconomist.com. But, um, you know, I'm going to be moving them over to my good investing site. I need need, uh, my designer to make them nice and pretty, build some pretty pie charts for me. But um, all my model portfolios have outperformed sort of a standard couch potato portfolio over the last little bit. And, you know, we're, uh, uh, you know, I I think I looked at it in sort of mid-August is when I last did the numbers on them. And my squeaky clean portfolio was kind of kicking the crap out of everything. Now, part of it is that it does have a, 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 a higher allocation to Tesla. And Tesla has just been over the top ridiculous. So, you know, I don't, that, that, that would be sort of part of it. But also, again, I think that there is this uh, uh, movement towards companies, you know, when we've moved away from commodities, things like mining and energy, oil and gas, and we've moved much more towards technology and healthcare. And, you know, and at the same time, I think due to COVID, we've also sort of moved down Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know if you're familiar with that concept, but the idea is that, you know, it starts with the the basic necessities. And then we kind of, you know, as we have more privilege and more time on our hands, we can start to have other priorities. And that obviously with COVID, you know, all of a sudden there was a huge boom in toilet paper. Yeah, I know. When COVID (laughs) hit, right? Oh, my God. Which is like the staple of staples. So, again, when it comes to these you know, uh, uh, some of these thematic funds around the UN Sustainable Development Goals, when it comes to these that, that are providing more of those basic fundamental needs, um, you know, I think that there's and then, you know, responsible investment funds do kind of by luck do tend to be heavier tilted towards tech and that tech has also done phenomenally well. So, again, I don't want to promise that this is going to keep happening. Right. Because we've been 2020 has been such a bizarro year. But it's been really nice for me with my clients that the ones that did opt for like the squeaky clean portfolio, like the most sustainable options, have really done the best. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see going forward whether these trends continue, Um, you know, really tracking things for me on the macro side that, you know, we have a new finance minister in Christia Freeland and they've signaled that, you know, maybe a universal basic income or something like that, maybe a green economic recovery. In the U.S., I don't, like, I'm so nervous about the election. I'm so, like, I'm, I just want to get through it. But like, you know, if I just knock on woods, if I can, like, just, you know, if, if uh, uh, Joe Biden does win, then, you know, he's signaled a $2 trillion green stimulus plan. 
Uh, the euro region, regardless of any of the election or politics, has signaled, I think, like a $750 billion green stimulus plan. So there's no doubt in my mind that, that governments are moving in this direction now. And so to me, it's, it's, it's really sort of now's the time that, you know, that, that obviously the best time to have done this would have been a few years ago. Um, you know, but uh, I, I do really want to encourage people that like, you know, if you've think, been thinking about making a shift like this, you know, something like divestment from fossil fuels, you know, it, when I, in 2015, when I started talking about this before the, you know, the first oil crash, and then now we've had another oil crash, but, you know, I would say to some degree, the writing's on the wall that, you know, Exxon just got kicked out of the Dow Jones industrial average and, you know, really energy as a percentage of the global stock market is, you know, really small and continues to dwindle. So, you know, to me, there is this massive economic shift that's happening. And I think that explains, you know, both the, the sort of psychological shift that's happening, but also, frankly, the, you know, the, that the money is starting to flow in this direction. Not so much in Canada. We're a little bit behind. But in the U.S., they just had inflows like it was pretty remarkable. Uh, I, I looked at the data from Morningstar and it was like around three to four billion going into these funds sort of every year. And then all of a sudden, 2019, it was 20 billion. Like it just like shot up. And then the first quarter of 2020, it's already 20 billion. Wow. Yeah. And that's during COVID. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, in the U.S., like there's, there is this huge, massive shift. I think, you know, the analogy I use is that the tidal wave is coming. I've told people the tidal wave is coming for a while. I think some people thought I was a little out to lunch there. Um, but now you can very much see the tidal wave, at least in the rest of the world, and that, you know, I think investors that do have a long-term horizon, you know, really need to look at, at these issues. And if, you know, if you're ignoring these issues, you could be missing out. Mm-hmm. I think one thing too, when, you know, cause we're talking very big picture, big picture stuff. And I think what I always like to bring it back to, especially for uh, people just like kind of still getting their feet wet when it comes to this is um, the idea that, we need to be more intentional of where our money is going and who we're supporting. I think so many of us investors learn about what to invest in and, and all these different things, but we probably forget about why are we investing and who and who are we investing with? I'll say when I first started investing, I didn't even think about the companies I was actually investing in. Like I didn't even know where to find that information. And so I think in this day and age, uh, it is all like transparency and, uh, you know, intentionality is becoming so much more important in all of our lives. This is a great time to just reflect and take a look at what you're investing in and see, does this make me feel good? You know, I, I talk about that when it comes to spending all the time. It's all, you know, spend within your value system. We need to invest within our value system too and, uh, and see what's going on and take a good look at like, what are the eight companies actually in the funds that you're investing in? So many people I work with, they've never even thought to do that because that's not talked about a lot. They talk about funds and fees and, you know, returns, rarely, what kind of companies are in there? And does that make you feel good? <laughs> and it is more transparent, especially with ETFs, mutual funds. It can be a bit like, I joke, I have to be Indiana Jones to like go through and get the full list of holdings that you have to go through these annual and semi-annual reports. And then it's like a snapshot. 
But ETFs are generally very transparent that with like two or three clicks, I can get a full list of all the holdings. And it's a really good exercise. This is what I do with clients as we go through those sort of doing less evil options is we look at the companies inside and we understand what's in there. And people absolutely have emotional reactions to certain companies. And for everyone, it's different. And I can never predict it. Like it's really, this is one of the things that keeps me going is that, you know, it really is so much fun when, you know, people will just, and you know, whether it's Nestle or Walmart or Philip Morris or Exxon, or, you know, I could go through and, and that, you know, and, but also part of it is that people don't always know what companies they need to avoid that, you know, you might not know that Philip Morris is tobacco or that Lockheed Martin is military weapons. Right. So there are some really cool tools now, you know, uh, uh, from uh, MSCI has these like ESG uh, 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 ratings on companies and for ETFs uh, as well. Morningstar, they just bought a company called Sustainalytics. So it is kind of next a little bit next level, you know, but if for people that do want to dig in, we can start to do things like measure the carbon footprint of different funds. Is there a tool out there where you can, and I feel like I may have found one, but I'm not sure if I found one for Canada. So you probably know if there exists of something where you can uh, take your fund, whether it's an ETF or mutual fund, plug it into this thing, and it'll tell you what the evil guys are in there. Is there something like that out there? So the Canadian ones, not specifically in terms of the, the, it won't tell you the names of the companies, Um, but really we do have Morningstar and Morningstar does have a database that includes all Canadian ETFs and mutual funds. And if you click on the little like portfolio tab, once you've looked it up, then you should be able to scroll down and you can get the overall ESG score, which is kind of like, okay, from an environmental social governance perspective. And then you can also get the carbon score, the carbon risk score and the carbon footprint. So it's not going to flag. I think I know the tool you're talking about for the U.S. funds. Uh, There's a nonprofit called As You Sow, and they've got sort of fossil fuel free funds. And now there's like prison free funds and weapons free funds and tobacco free funds where it really will like point out and show you the specific holdings. We don't have that for Canadian. I keep kind of like hoping for that. This is some of the work that I do with my clients is that we'll look at ETFs that have a very specific methodology to exclude those things they want to get rid of. And then from there, you know, uh, uh, we can use Morningstar.ca to be able to look them up and get, I would say, some of those broader risk metrics. Okay. Well, that's helpful. That's good to know. I think that's a little homework for anyone listening take a look at what you're investing in. Go on Morningstar and, and check out its rating. <laughs> I feel like yeah. so many people probably didn't even know you could do that. So I think that's so helpful for them to know. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's more information than there's ever been. Uh, it's easier than it's ever been with all these ETFs. It's cheaper than it's ever been. One of the huge knocks against responsible investing uh, for a long time has been that the fees are so much higher. Yeah. And they do tend to be a little bit... But they're not so much happier. They're just a little a bit higher. Bit but, you know, there are ETFs now from I shares, you know, it's like 0.2%, you know, in that ballpark that are just so cheap. So it's, it's never been easier. It's never been cheaper. And there's never been more information to be able to make these types of intentional decisions. And, you know, I am here. If people get stuck, if people have questions, you know, people can find me in uh, a number of different ways. And, you know, I love answering questions and, you know, helping people sort through this stuff. Well, I know you also have a YouTube channel and you've been doing a lot of uh, throughout the past several months, like, 
are they, are they live? Yeah, they're YouTube lives, right? Yeah, I do. You, I do. I've been doing YouTube lives. I started doing it right when the crash happened, when COVID hit, and people were freaking out. Oh yeah, they were. <laughs> right, like there was. We were in a panic. People were thinking this was this is it. This is the end of times. I'm like, it never is. <laughs> and like we were full on talking about huge crash and you know depression and all. Like we just didn't know. So you know, I started doing that YouTube live really just as a response to people being so freaked out. And uh, and started doing it weekly. I've since sort of slowed it down since then, just because you know there isn't the urgency. Um, but absolutely, I've been having a lot of fun with uh, uh, with YouTube uh, and and really kind of engaging and, and letting people just ask questions and and creating a format and people can email me questions and I'll address them on the show um, or you know they can be in the chat and you know engage with me live, which for me is the sort of the most fun part of it. But you know it's really been cool and I do find that people just have so many questions when it comes to these things. Mm-hmm. And you're one of the few people who has the answers. You're still like the <laughs> only person I know who I can really talk, besides someone who works at a, you know, brand or organization that has something to do with like building these funds. I don't know if there's like an independent person quite like yourself that knows as much as you know about this space. So that's why. I really am a giant nerd, <laughs> Jessica. This is, this is for better or for worse. This is my passion. This is what I really love doing. And um, to me, it's just, it's so fascinating that it is, it it combines sort of all these different things that I love, that there is the financial aspect to it, which I really enjoy, but there's a huge amount of philosophy involved, that there's no clear cut answer of, you know, good versus evil and morality in this day and age. And, you know, I do get questions from people, you know, how, if I'm against capitalism, you know, how can I invest at all? Right. And, uh, and that there are, you know, so many different opinions when it comes to these things. And, and lately what I really, the part that I love the most, I mean, I could go on for hours about ETFs and things like that, but what really gets me going are these impact investments that, you know, these are things that are not traditional mutual funds or, you know, traditional stocks or bonds. These are things like solar bonds or community bonds where you can invest in nonprofits. Um, You know, so for example, there's this great community here in Toronto called Sketch. Um, and they're a nonprofit that provides arts programming to youth who are experiencing homelessness, um, which is incredible. Like it's giving these kids like a safe space. It's giving them uh, skills. It's giving them community. It's this incredible organization. Um, and so they operate out of uh, the Artscape building on Shaw Street for people who are in Toronto who might know it. It's this beautiful space and they've got sort of all their uh, uh, art space, all the, the studios are in the basement and then they've got a little office on the first floor. And, um, and that really they pay rent every single month. So what Sketch is doing is issuing a community bond to be able to buy their space from Artscape. So that instead of paying rent every single month, they're basically paying off a mortgage. And once that mortgage is paid off, they own that space. So not only does it protect them against rising rent in Toronto, which is a very real thing, but also this idea of long-term financial sustainability, allowing them to ensure that their mission is gonna continue. And so they're offering a community bond it pay, it's a thousand dollars a bond, you know, it pays 3% per year and you are locked in for three years. Obviously there is some risk with it because the nonprofit could go bankrupt and, you know, and, and it's not liquid. It's not something you can sell if you need the money and you can't really easily hold it inside an RSP or a TFSA. 
So you are going to be paying taxes on that 3%. So again, it's not going to be the most optimal investment necessarily. But, you know, if you're looking for ways to be able to, you know, help with this issue, recognizing that homelessness is a huge problem and creating opportunities for youth who are like the least at fault when it comes to homelessness, like, you know, really that, that they've got their whole lives ahead of them, that this is a really cool way where you can, you know, again, you wouldn't want to put all of your money into this, but to carve out part of your portfolio to invest in a community bond like Sketch is just this, you know, to me, that's where you really get the positive impact. And, you know, it's kind of the opposite. You talked about going through the list of holdings and getting those like, you know, that like gag reflex where you're like, ah, I don't want that. Uh, that's gross. It's, you know, this is the complete opposite. That when I think of some of these community bonds or solar bonds or green bonds or microfinance where these are loans to, you know, entrepreneurs and co-ops and emerging economies that, you know, those just really give me warm fuzzies that, you know, make me feel really good and that, you know, understand that, yeah, I do. I am saving for retirement with most of my portfolio. I am trying to get market rates of return and I am trying to really get that compound growth working for me. Absolutely. Um, at the same time, you know, I might carve out part of my portfolio for something that I am really passionate about and that, you know, I'm really going to feel good about and I know it's going to have like a direct positive impact. Yeah. And I think you mentioned this. I'm like, I didn't know that existed. I think a lot of people don't know this is even an option. Where can they find more information about like things like that, like those types of bonds? Uh, so the, unfortunately, like there's not there's not a huge amount of information out there that it really is. You know, I would say my newsletter and my YouTube channel. That, you know, that, that that's, I'm, I'm the one talking about these things, writing about these things. Again, you know, to go back to our conversation earlier about the regulators, you know, a lot of regulated advisors who are registered with the OSC are not allowed to talk about these things. They're considered private placements, so they can't even mention them, let alone sell them. And if a client of theirs did buy them, they wouldn't get any commissions on them. So they're not going to be, you know, talking about these things. So it really is kind of my unique business model that allows me to be able to like evaluate and, and talk about these different options. Um, but really there, there are a couple of resources online, although unfortunately they haven't really been kept up to date. So there is openimpact.ca, which has a registry. There is something called the SVX, the social venture connections, uh, I think is, is their brand now SVX.ca, but really it is going to be, uh, you know, follow my YouTube as I build out goodinvesting.com, as I move the, uh, uh, the, the, the content over from my blog to this new site, you know, one thing that I'm hoping to have are these Google Sheets where, you know, I do have a list of all the different ETFs and, you know, sorted by geography and that I do want to have a list of the, these, these impact bonds. It's a little bit tricky. The way it works is the window opens and then they sell out and then the window closes and those bonds are no longer available. So, you know, it is something that's going to take a little bit of work on my part to sort of keep that updated. But, you know, my hope is to build a resource there so that, you know, Canadians can find which options are available at any given time. And then, you know, on the YouTube channel, if I do get questions about them, that's where I can go through and kind of do a bit of a deeper dive and evaluate them. And, you know, I'll ask tough questions. I'll go through their financials and say, okay, you know, how, what is the riskier? How stable are your cash flows even during uh, COVID? You know, how does an art space, you know, still generate revenue during a pandemic? You know, I'm not afraid of, of asking those tough questions and, and digging in and really evaluating the risk, but also evaluating the impact. 
that, you know, how are, what is the impact of this? How many people are we helping? You know, how, how can I ensure that, you know, this is making the world a better place? I think in this case, it's, it's a bit of a no brainer. I don't need too much data to tell me that this organization is, is having a positive impact, but it would be nice, you know, if they are measuring these things so that I can start to quantify that. Absolutely. Well, I feel like we, we could talk a lot about this because this is such an interesting topic. So I'm sure as things develop and evolve, we'll have you back on the show. Hopefully not three years from now. That sounds like way too long, but um, I'll, I'll put it in the calendar for 2023. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> put it in the calendar. Um, I, I, you've already mentioned uh, some great resources, but I guess one central hub, of course, is your website. You said you're moving your blog over so people can check out the blog now, but depending on when you move over, just also sign up for your newsletter. I'm on it. I'm also subscribed to your YouTube channel. It's a great, you know, way to keep uh, updated. But where can I think you've mentioned the the URLs a few times, but just one more time, where can people find all that? Really goodinvesting.com. That is going to be the the central hub right now. It's it's a bit more of a sales website for my services. Um, so a lot of the the nerdy stuff is on sustainableeconomist.com for now, but everything is going to find its way over to goodinvesting.com. Uh, I've got my YouTube channel, which is Good Investing with Tim Nash. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, um, I changed my handle. It's now Tim at Tim Nash CFP because I did get that CFP designation. And um, and really, those are going to be the best ways. And, you know, if people have questions for me, my email is Tim at GoodInvesting.com. Um, you know, and, and really it's, uh, uh, I just want to encourage people to just kind of start the journey on this, to start thinking about it, recognizing that this is an option. It's not, you know, going to be the best option for everybody right away. But as you look at it and you start to go through your holdings and see, you know, know that this is an option. And I think for more and more people, this is looking to be a very good option. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It, as always, I, I knew it would be. It was so great chatting with you. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. And that was episode 251. Make sure to check out the show notes for this episode at jessicamorehouse.com slash 251. You can find show notes for any episode ever of this show on my website. Just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash whatever the number of that episode is, or just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash podcast. You can find all those episodes there in case you want to find out more details. Whenever I'm talking to a guest and they mention something, I usually include the mention or the link in the show notes in case you know you don't want to spend all that time tracking that down. Now, if you want to learn more about uh, Tim Nash, make sure to go to goodinvesting.com, follow him on Twitter, um, and also make sure to follow him on YouTube. Again, all all of his kind of social channels will be on goodinvesting.com, so make sure to go and do that. He's got a ton of resources, and while you can, uh, make sure to check out his blog, The Sustainable Economist, and check out the previous episode I had with him, 129 is uh, what that episode number is. Uh, I have lots to share with you. Do not go away. Just have a few words to share about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Mo Money Podcast is supported by TD Direct Investing. You guys, you know when it comes to investing, there is one product I'm a sucker for, ETFs, which is hilarious considering five years ago when I started this podcast, I had no idea what an exchange-traded fund even was. Well, a lot can change in just a few years, which is what happened to TD Direct Investing's Goal Assist. It started as a feature introduced in their web broker platform to help investors set investment goals so they could be more intentional with their investment portfolios. That was back in April 2019. 
Now, in November 2020, Goal Assist has evolved into a standalone investment app called TD Goal Assist to help you set and monitor your investment goals and manage your portfolio on the go. And the best part? There are no monthly or inactivity fees like most brokerage apps charge, and TD ETFs have unlimited commission-free trades, including their TD one-click ETF portfolios. You can also trade individual stocks at a flat fee of $9.99. Want to learn more? Visit the show notes for this episode or go to jessicamorehouse.com slash goal assist. Or try it out yourself by downloading the TD Goal Assist app via the App Store or Google Play and opening an account. TD Goal Assist is a service of TD Direct Investing, a division of TD Waterhouse Canada Inc., a subsidiary of the Toronto Dominion Bank. Okay, first and foremost, um, so, uh, because I haven't mentioned it, I think for the past couple weeks, possibly, um, I am doing a contest and I guess I've got another two months of this contest because we've got another two months of the podcast before I take a little break. I'm actually doing this podcast a lot longer, like this particular season, a little longer than normal. Usually I kind of cut it, I think usually like the first week of December or mid-December, I'm running this season up until the end of December. I, I just have a lot of great guests. So, and also like, you know, what else am I going to do? You know, I'm not going, I'm, <laughs> oh my God, I just, that's why, because I'm not going home for Christmas. That's so sad. But me and my husband, we talked about it and um, yeah, it's just not going to happen. I'm not getting on a plane. There is no way I'm going on a plane right now during this pandemic. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So we're hunkering down in Toronto and we haven't done that since the first year that we moved here seven years ago, which is crazy. And also looking back, that Christmas was so (laughs) sad. (laughs) Trying to make it fun by going to like the movies on Christmas day, which I've always wanted to do as a kid because we were never allowed to do that, obviously, um, because we usually hang out with family and whatnot. And then we did it and it was fine. (laughs) It wasn't. It's never as good as hanging out with family. So, anyways, I'm trying to get into the. I know you're what you're saying. You're like, why are you talking about Christmas? Is literally the first week of November. Because I need something in my life to hold on to to get excited about, and Christmas is the thing. So I'm going to be looking forward to it, planning, decorating for two months. Christmas to me starts now because I need something. Okay, I need this. I need this. Anyways, what was I talking about? Oh, I I forget what I was originally talking about, but I think that the point I was trying to lead to this point that I'm running a contest um, of all the books featured on this season of the show. I have several more um, guests on the show coming up who have written books. I'm going to be giving away their books. Go to jessicamorehouse.com slash contests uh, or contest, either or will do, and it'll take you to the contest page where you can um, enter to win a book. Uh, some other things you may not know, um, but uh, I have a free resource library on my website, jessicamorehouse.com slash resources. I have a bunch of free downloads, free videos. It's all accessible right there. Also, some of my budget spreadsheets. And also, uh, I've been getting a lot more people downloading my budget spreadsheet. So happy. If you have the need for a budget spreadsheet, either in Excel or Google Sheets, whatever you like, go to jessicamorehouse.com slash shop. You can find all my different budget spreadsheets and uh, go crazy. Oh, also, uh, and this is very exciting. Maybe not for you. Eh, maybe for you. I've actually been getting quite like surprisingly because I literally, as of the recording, this is Monday, I'm recording this. Um, I've been getting quite a few like emails and messages about my experience doing the Canadian Securities course. So I just wrote a blog post on my website, uh slash blog is where you can find my blog. 
um, and also made a video on my YouTube channel um, really talking about my experience during the Canadian Securities course and also like how I passed some study tips and all this stuff. And it's very fascinating because I'm like, oh, hopefully someone will find this helpful because I always like when I was studying, trying to find videos and people, I just wanted to know how people did it. Um, and so I wanted to kind of, you know, also share my experience to help people and I've been getting lots of uh, interesting questions and and people being like, oh, thanks so much. And it's, it's cool. I feel so not only still kind of in shock that I passed, but happy that I can now help other people and, and make them like, let me kind of make more sense, but I've gotten a few messages from people being like, oh, I don't know. I feel like I want to take it or I should take it for my career, but I just don't think I can pass. And my answer to this is like, literally anyone can pass this. It's not easy. I'm not saying it is. It was one of the hardest exams I've ever taken. But if this girl who has a film degree and then just like read about, you know, is just kind of plopped into this personal finance world by just teaching myself this crap. Like I didn't, I don't have a business degree. I didn't go this the kind of normal route. If I can hunker down, study and take the exams and pass, then there's no reason that you can't do the exact same thing. It's just information. It's just, you know, anyone can get a textbook and, and read it and study it and learn it. So I don't know. It's hopefully I'll make some people feel like, oh, if she can do it, I can do it. And that is, that makes me happy because, uh, you know, this is the reason I started the podcast is so everyone can feel better about betting, bettering themselves and their financial lives. It's not hard. It's not just for a select group of people that know all the things and then you have to hire them to do the things for you. Hell no. You can learn all this crap by yourself. And if you've been one of the longtime listeners of the podcast, you know a ton. The amount of hours you've listened to experts on the show talk about this stuff, you know a ton. So you you just you just remember that. Oh, also, um, since I'm talking about YouTube or I mentioned it briefly, I'm coming out with more videos. I put out one today. I'm gonna be putting out a few more coming up. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to become you know, kind of that go-to YouTube channel to learn about all things personal finance. And also I've got a lot of Canadian specific uh, videos. So if you, you know, would be so kind, make sure to check me out, uh, jessicamorehouse.com slash YouTube, or just Google Jessica Morehouse in YouTube and you'll find me. Make sure to subscribe. Also, if you would be also doubly kind, uh, follow me on Instagram. I'm like, so uh, hopefully by the time this airs, I will be at 5,000 Instagram followers, but uh, I'm like, I'm just, I just need a few more people just to get to that 5,000. And then the next goal is 10,000. I just want that swipe up feature. Do you know what I mean? It's so annoying that they only let people with 10,000 Instagram followers have the swipe up. I just want to be able to swipe up on my stories, but I'm just not like that Insta influencer. Like I'm not that gal. I talk about money. So I'm doing my best. I'm doing as best as I can, but uh, you know, follow me on Instagram. Also, if you don't know, I also have a Twitter and a uh, Instagram specifically for the podcast where it's more just like if you just want to keep in touch uh, keep up to date with like oh there's a new episode dropping follow uh, at Mo Money Podcast on either Instagram and Twitter and I always share it on the uh, published date so that's how you can kind of stay in the loop um, 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 um okay last thing I'll share with you and then I'll let you go if you don't already know I have a free Facebook group called the Money Life Balance Community I've had it for several years now like I think I started in 2016 which is wild. Um, so if you want to pop in there, join the crowd. We always uh, talk money and it's a great place to ask questions or w whatever. It's for Americans, Canadians, anybody 
who wants to, you know, be part of a positive, helpful community uh, about personal finance. Um, and yeah, that's, that's really all I got. So thanks so much for listening to this episode. I'll be back next Wednesday with a fresh new episode of the Momenty Podcast. Until then, have a good rest of your week. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.